0: Speaking of parents, um, getting to our introduction this morning. Speaking of parents, uh, how many of you have ever asked your parents the why question? Do you, do you know what I mean when I say the why question? Let me set up a scenario to maybe, maybe jog some of your memories if you've ever asked the why question. You know, it's a Friday night, and you're playing a game. Could be a video game, could be a board game, maybe you're on your phone. And you start to feel tired, but since you're enjoying whatever you're doing so much, whether it's that gaming or you're on your phone for whatever reason, you want to stay awake longer. You're really enjoying this activity. So you go get some sort of caffeinated drink from the fridge, and before you open it, your mom tells you, put that back. You can't drink that this late of night. Now, what comes next is the why question. But mom, why can't I have this? It's a Friday night. I don't have anything going on tomorrow. Why can't I just stay up and drink a caffeinated drink? So that's the scenario of the why question. How many of you have ever asked your parents the why question? Yes, I think at some point or another, we've all at least thought it or voiced the why question. Now, in our passage this evening, we see Paul addressing the root of the reason why he's addressing the problem of division in the Corinthian church. It's like if Paul was anticipating the church, uh, reading the first two chapters of this letter, and they're about to ask this why question, like why does this matter? And we see Paul answering that question as if he's anticipating them to ask that why question in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So, if you have your scripture notebook with you, please open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you do not have your scripture notebook with you, Um, The verses will be on the screen. And make sure you have your pens ready to underline, circle, phrases, words that stick out to you as we go through this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Verse 1. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I give you milk to drink, not solid food, since you are not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? I just want to pause here for a moment to make some comments. I don't know about you, but when someone accuses me of acting like a baby, it uh, usually catches my attention because it means that my current actions are a reflection of those of a small child. So I can only imagine what the Corinthians were thinking when Paul writes to them that he speaks to them as babies, babies in Christ. Now being babies isn't the only negative characteristic Paul uses here to describe the Corinthians. He also uses the words worldly and mere humans. And if you have not already, I would uh, encourage you to underline those three words, babies, worldly, and that phrase mere humans. Now, when Paul calls the Corinthians babies, he's saying that they're acting as if they don't know how to live in a way to glorify Jesus. And when he's calling them worldly, it means that the Corinthians are acting no different than the ungodly people around them. And lastly, when Paul uses the phrase mere humans, Paul is saying that the Corinthians are living as people who follow human masters as if they are slaves to them. See, these are things that would be negative characteristics, things that I, nor you, don't think would want to be described as. So let's keep reading to see why Paul uses these terms to describe the people In the Corinthian church. Now, we're actually going to read the rest of the passage here, so please follow along, and again, underline, circle, anything that catches your eye um, in this passage. So, starting, picking back up in verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. "'What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has a role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth.' So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. And according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. And another builds on it. But each one is to be careful on how he builds on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down, the foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For that day, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He'll experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple, that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise, for the wisdom... Of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile, so that no one boasts in human leaders. For everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Here we see the why question answered. We see it early on. We see it in verse 5. So if you go back up to, to verse 5 through 7, I just want to reread these real quick and, and see if we can see the why question being answered of, of why, why should the Corinthians pay attention when Paul talks about focusing on Christ and not having divisions. Verse 5, what then is Apollos, what is Paul They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, as it relates to identity, identifying with other people, is, Paul says, is nothing because really... It's about identifying with God. God is the one who saves a person. God is the one who grows the person, who sanctifies the person to help the person become more like Christ. God is ultimately the one who will cause that person to enter heaven and have eternal life after their earthly life is over. Now, this should lead us, what Paul then says, is to boast in God. Should only boast in God, not boasting in human leaders. What are human leaders? They are there to... Spread God's word to, to be there to speak the truth. But ultimately, God is one who saves, who grows, and will call that person home to be with him in heaven for eternity. And we see that we should only be boasting God at the end that we've just read. 1 Corinthians three twenty one through 23. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or things present, or things to come. Everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Now, this truth, this verse will bring us into a spot where we exalt the name of Jesus, where we praise the name of Jesus, where we just get to um, boast in God instead of exalting other humans, instead of raising and elevating other humans higher than we ought to. Now, the, there's this question that I have that, from this passage is, how is this truth that Paul writes about, how would this truth have helped the Corinthian church? Like, why do you think Paul is writing this to address what's going on in the first couple of chapters in Corinthians? Now, we, we have to remember that Paul is uh, addressing divisions in the church. The church is divided against each other, and uh, certain human leaders, Paul, Cephas, Um, We also have Apollos, and and he addresses those in the first couple of chapters, and those divisions are a result of um, exalting human leaders, as a result of exalting human leaders. So, this truth would have applied, instead of boasting and exalting a human leader, that would cause division in the church that we should boast in Christ, and that would unify the church if we kept the main thing, the main thing, if we kept boasting Christ, and kept our focus and attention on that. We talked about last week, and we talked about the last couple weeks as we walk through the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians. So this truth comes into play because instead of deterring our focus off Christ and focusing on other humans, we should be praising and boasting in God's work in our lives and what He is doing instead of other humans. There's a, a quote that says... Um, And how this applies practically to our lives looks like this. Um, We must treat other believers with dignity and respect, not looking down on them or acting toward them with arrogance. And why this quote fits into this passage perfectly is this. People in the church, when you have divisions, naturally you think that you're better than the other person. Right? There's a reason why you divided. You think that what they're saying is not worth believing or trusting in or following, and so you think that you're better. We call that pride. We went over that last couple weeks as well. We talked about pride in small groups a lot, hopefully, and we talked about how pride is destructive. And then this quote, it makes sense in this context because when we have divisions, we have pride, we start treating others, we start treating others unfairly unbiblically. We start treating others in a way that we look down on them, that we degrade them. We don't think them as, them as h- highly, or we don't think of them as important to love, to serve, and to spread the gospel to. And so, this truth would have helped the Corinthian church in this way, that instead of focusing on our differences, instead of trying to look at how a section or a group is right and looking down with arrogance on a certain division by boasting in God, by boasting in Christ, believers are respecting other believers. They're recognizing that, hey, I'm a sinner too. I need Jesus just as much, and I'm gonna boast in Christ. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act with arrogance. I'm gonna actually love and respect my fellow believers, the people in the church. So, this brings it back to like today. So, that was kind of what the the application point would have been in the culture of Corinth. But what about today? So, Corinth, the 1 Corinthians was written about a little under 2,000 years ago. Does the truths and applications in 1 Corinthians 3 apply to today? What can we take away? And I want you to write this question down. Does my identity matter? Because as we address the why question of why uh, Paul is writing this section to the Corinthian church. The the why question is, you know, does my identity even matter? Does it even matter who I put my identity in, who I'm boasting in? Does that even matter? Now, I would suggest that there's three reasons why your identity matters and um, who you put your identity in. Question, uh, point number one is this. Your identity... Helps you to stay rooted in Christ. Your identity helps you to be rooted in Christ. Think about this Does it matter who my identity is? If my identity is in Christ, I'm going to think of myself as Christ thinks about me. How does Christ look at a believer? Beloved, perfect, holy. What does that mean in my life practically? That means I don't need to seek affirmation or I don't need to be a people pleaser or seek uh, people's. Um, I don't need to seek people's um, uh, praise. I don't need to act. I don't need to do anything in order to receive praise from other people because I receive perfect, holy praise from Jesus because He already sees me as holy. In Jesus, I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm perfect in His eyes. I am perfectly loved in Christ. So therefore, I don't need to live my life for someone else who's not going to see me as perfect, who's not going to love me perfectly, if my identity is in Christ, it helps us stay rooted in Him, and I can live a life that boasts only in God. Practical point number two of, um, of Does My Identity Matter is this. How we identify, who we, who we identify with, if we identify in Christ, it will help us by the Spirit to act in a way that represents Christ. So, we talked about this this morning. If you go to church here on Sunday mornings, we talked about 1 Corinthians, the end of 1 Corinthians 4. Dave talked about um, imitation of if um, Paul talks about, writes about imitation in 1 Corinthians 4, that um, imitate me, follow me, and because I'm following Christ. So, where identity comes into play is that if our identity is rooted in Christ and we imitate Christ, the hope is that those around us would see that and would want to also follow Christ. So my identity matters because how I act can either be a witness to those around me or it can deter people away from Christ around me. And then lastly, why does my identity matter? Because your identity reveals your heart. And that's the most important thing. Your identity reveals your heart. If you identify with Christ, that means you're also identifying with Him as Savior of your life and Lord of your life. You're identifying in His uh, suffering. You're You're identifying with His death and then also identifying with His resurrection. That's what it means to have your identity in Christ. When that happens, when you identify with Christ, we would say that you have been saved, that you are in a right relationship with Him because you confess Him as Savior and Lord of your life. It reveals your heart that you're not living for yourself, but rather living for God. And because of that, you're going to live that out in a way that shows who your identity is in. It reveals the heart. The flip side of that is, if your identity is not rooted in Christ— if your identity is rooted in being popular or your identity or goal in life is rooted in serving your own selfish uh goals or wishes or what you want in life instead of what god wants for you in life that also reveals something about your heart it reveals that you are self-focused that you don't have christ as the root of your identity and that um you don't have that right relationship with god so in the end, your identity really matters of who your identity is rooted in. Is it rooted in Christ or is it rooted in what makes you feel good or what you think is best for your life? Um, Because of that, like, there's great consequences on on if your identity is not rooted in Christ. For those who die and don't have their identity in Christ, we're told that you don't have that right relationship with God that you will spend eternity apart from Him when you die. So my hope and my plea and what why this really ultimately matters is I want you to be able to say, I identify with Christ. I confess Him as Lord and Savior of my life. You know, that I need a Savior because I'm sinful and that He is Lord and in control of my life. My life is now to please and worship Him because I want to be with Him. I want that right relationship with God. And this all correlates back into what Paul is trying to explain to the first Corinthian, or the, to the church at Corinth in First Corinthians, that their identity matters. And I want to express that same truth to you: who you find your identity in, it matters. They're, it matters on a spiritual level. It matters on how on how that overflows and how you live your life, um, and it matters as it relates to your relationship with God. And so, I want you to, to ask yourself these questions, you know, you know my, since my identity matters, I want you to write this question down of, where do I find my identity in? I want you to be honest with yourself. Where do I find my identity in? And I really want you to take time and think about that question when we're in small groups. So I want you to think about that question when you go home of where, who do you find your identity in? Where is your identity rooted is it really rooted in Christ or is it, do you find yourself being pulled away and you're finding it rooted in what makes you feel good and what pleases you and maybe it's just all about serving yourself or is it truly rooted in serving God? So if you would, please uh, be serious about that question, really think through that question this evening and as you go home. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, thank you for tonight. I just thank you for uh, the scripture and this passage that we get to learn um, about who you are, who we are, and how much we need you. God, I, I just thank you for um, just students that are here, and that we can learn why our identity matters, and that we, um, God, you call us to have our identity rooted and grounded in you. God, I just pray as we go to small groups that we would be honest with with ourselves, honest with um, our small groups, and and places where it's hard um, in life to Uh, have our identity grounded and rooted in you. God, I pray that we would be able to have great discussions that glorify you um, this evening. We love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.